Welcome back to the Flaming Grenade Serial Podcast, where you get to listen to the book, The Flaming Grenade, in podcast-sized bits. I hope you're enjoying it. Um, Let's see what happens next. Chapter 94, Over the Atlantic. You made a good call upgrading our tickets, babe. This is the way to fly. Robert reclined in his business class seat and adjusted his personal LCD screen. I trained never to fly in cattle class, Ashley said without removing the silk blindfold. This is the only way I can ever sleep on a flight. She yawned and pulled her blanket up to her chin. Robert got the hint and put his headphones back on. He scrolled through the menus and picked a movie he hadn't seen yet. Even in the wide roomy seats, he wasn't able to sleep. There were too many noises and lights, and he wanted to be able to sleep tomorrow night. Or was it tonight? If he slept on the plane, his internal clock would have a harder time adjusting to European time. If he stayed awake and went to bed completely exhausted the next day, he would be able to fall asleep and stay asleep through the night. It was like doing a hard reset. The movie didn't really interest him, but it was something to do. He had read for a few hours, but even though she didn't say anything, he could tell the light bothered her, so he switched it off. His mind wandered. The past week had been a blur, from the first phone call from Archie. It's not like Archie had stayed close since graduating. He was a cool guy and everything, but he only called when he needed something. Robert could have said no, but Archie knew he wouldn't. The puzzle was too interesting for Robert to decline. It was a gold mine if he ever got to publish, but it still annoyed him that Archie just expected he would help. Although he would never say so out loud, he admitted to himself that he was a little jealous of Archie. During college, Robert was the tutor, the smart one with the bright future. Now, Archie had a great job making a crap load of money working on cutting-edge secret squirrel technology. He met a beautiful girl and convinced her to marry him. Now he was on this great Indiana Jones-type adventure, and Robert was his research sidekick, the one who was attacked and tortured by Chinese spies to boot. He told Emily he and Ashley were going to Italy to help Archie and to avoid the time difference and all that, but really he just wanted to be a part of the adventure. It wasn't fair. At this thought, Robert had to smile. What was it his dad always said? Life's not fair. Right, well, that may be true, but it didn't make it any less annoying. Robert looked at Ashley. She was extremely hot. She was smart and funny, and she was not in the least bit interested in settling down. Robert knew she would get bored and move on sooner or later. She would meet the next hot guy and trade up. Robert himself wasn't really ready for the big M, but it would be nice to have that option should he decide she was a keeper. He knew his feelings were irrational. He knew Archie and Zyra were good people and genuinely needed his help, but that didn't change the way he felt. Hopefully, when they arrived and he got to join in on the action instead of sitting behind a computer screen, he would feel different. He didn't like this feeling. Chapter 95 Mount Etna, Sicily, Italy. Carmela drove up to the picnic area and pulled in so her headlights would shine into the woods. She was the only car there and hadn't passed anyone on the road. There was no one there. She left the car on and got out to walk around. She walked through the picnic area, down the wash, and back up to the grove on the other side. She saw crime scene tape hanging from a tree and discarded latex gloves on the ground. What a disgrace. She couldn't see any sign that someone had been there and Giuseppe was nowhere to be found. She turned around and walked back to the car. 
She had to squint and shield her eyes from the bright headlights. She swatted at the flies gathered in the beam of the light and got back into her car. A fly buzzed around her head, then landed on the window. She pushed the button to roll the window down, and the fly escaped into the night air. She backed out onto the road and decided to continue up the mountain. She'd never been up here at this time of night, and aside from her worry, she found it very peaceful. In fact, it seemed to calm her a bit. The cool air bit around the collar of her jacket, and when the clouds blew past, she was amazed at the brightness of the stars through the trees. She continued up the mountain until she reached the great lava flow. She had to make a choice. She could go right up to the ski lodge or left to travel around to the east side of the mountain. She pulled over to think and decide. She got out of the car and walked around to the back of the headlights. To the back, out of the headlights. She leaned against the trunk and breathed deeply the cold night air. She was hoping it would clear her head and wake her up a little bit. She breathed in again. She smelled a faint trace of smoke in the air. She walked further from the car and sniffed the air again. Yes, that was smoke, she smelled. Was there actually someone camping up on the mountain? Where in the world would they be camping? There were no campsites on the mountain. No setups for campers or showers. And there were plenty of hotels in town. Why would someone choose to sleep in the woods? Carmela shook her head, amazed at the silly things people will do. She decided to head up to the ski area first. It was closer, and she could easily turn around and take the other fork afterwards. She put on her seatbelt and pulled back out onto the road. She turned right and headed out to continue her search. Chapter 96 Trecastani, Sicily, Italy We woke up early and quickly packed our bags. We still hadn't purchased suitcases to fit our new wardrobes, so we had to stuff everything back into the store bags. I loaded everything into our new rental, and Cyrus stayed behind to double-check everything in the room, and head out with Heinrich to grab some breakfast and make their way to the church. We decided they should leave by the back door and take a long, roundabout route to the church, just in case. The Chinese knew they had been at the church, but I figured they still didn't, didn't know our involvement. If what Antonelli said was true, and I believed it was, those guys wouldn't hesitate to use violence. The whole time I was transferring to the new hotel, I was worried about Zyra and Heinrich. The new place was amazing, definitely high class compared to our previous digs. It was a suite with a living room, bedroom, bathroom, and even a walk-in closet. I think it was as big as my apartment back home minus the kitchen. The porter helped me bring our bags upstairs. I tipped him and then took a few minutes to unpack our things. I hung Zyra's blouses and skirts in the closet and decided to hang a few of my shirts as well. The rest I stuffed into drawers. It was a safe in the closet. My tablet just barely fit into the safe, so I set a pin number on the keypad and shut the door to test it out. I knew it wouldn't defeat a determined burglar, but it was better than nothing. As I was walking out of the room, I changed my mind. Maybe tomorrow, when we were up on the mountain, but today it would be easy to just carry it with me. I reopened the safe and pulled the tablet out. The new hotel was a few blocks further from the church, but as I decided to walk, the new route took me through a very large piazza with a big grassy park. A sign showed it was... Piazza Marconi. The streets were closed to vehicles with stalls lining the streets. Vendors were selling everything from underwear to vegetables. I checked my pockets, nervous to walk through the crowds, and then stepped into the chaos. Vendors were shouting, advertising their wares, and people pushed through their way through with bags full of cheeses, olives, fruits, and vegetables. Underneath temporary pop-up tents, tables were overflowing with goods. The crowded street was awash in bright colors. 
I walked past one stall with a large number of bags, luggage, backpacks, shoulder bags, and satchels. In Italy, I noticed, the men frequently wore over-the-shoulder satchels. Well, purses, really. You never really saw them in the States. I stopped to look. There was a leather one just big enough to fit my small tablet. I took it down from the hook it was hanging on and tried it on over my shoulder. The vendor walked over and started talking rapid Italian. I looked at him and said, uh, Solo inglese? With an apologetic smile. He nodded and yelled over his shoulder at a teenage girl who promptly set down a suitcase and joined us. The girl had the same olive eyes and thin nose as the man, and I assumed she was his daughter. She spoke a little English, enough to get by. I explained, using a lot of hand motions, that I wanted to try the tablet in the bag. She nodded, and I found that it fit. It was a tight fit, but that was a good thing. I didn't want the computer bouncing around, and I didn't want the bag to be the size of a backpack. I already had one of those. On the shoulder strap, it also had a pocket for my cell phone, and a smaller front pocket would fit a passport and thin wallet. I asked her for the price, and she said 30 euro after speaking with her father. I shook my head and started to take off the bag. The man held out his hand. Aspetta, aspetta, he said. I knew that one. Wait. He turned to his daughter, and they spoke for a moment, until finally she turned to me and said 25. I offered to pay 15. He ranted and raved and finally agreed to 20. I paid with a 20-euro note and thanked them both. I looked at my watch. I needed to get going. They were probably waiting for me at the church. Chapter 97, Trecastani, Sicily, Italy. After Archie left, Zara looked in all of the drawers and under the bed to make sure they hadn't left anything. She then went and knocked on Heinrich's door. He answered the door with a toothbrush in his mouth, wearing pants and socks but no shirt. Zara blushed, but Heinrich didn't seem to notice and welcomed her in. She walked to the window and peeked out onto the street while Heinrich disappeared into the bathroom. Zara looked around the piazza. There wasn't much activity. Her mother pushed a stroller through the piazza, and four old men sat on a bench talking. Zara noticed a car was parked across the piazza with two men seated in the front. She watched the car, and no one got out of the vehicle. She looked at the buildings on that side of the piazza and noticed only one was open, a fruit and vegetable market. Heinrich walked out of the bathroom, now fully dressed, and he sat on the bed to put on his shoes. Anything interesting, he asked. Actually, yes. Uh, there are two people in a car across the piazza. You don't happen to have binoculars, do you? Actually, I do. I always keep a small pair in my climbing pack over there. He pointed to a pack on the ground. It's in the right side pocket. Sarah unzipped the pocket and pulled out a pair of binoculars. She looked at both ends, trying to figure out which side to look into. They weren't like the ones her grandfather had, where one end was much wider than the other. Heinrich stood up and took the binoculars, turning them around and handing them back. Zara removed the lens caps and put them to her eyes. It took her a moment to figure out where she was looking, and she turned the dial on top of the unit to focus the picture. She looked up from the binoculars and found the car again in her line of sight. She looked back into the lenses and found herself looking at two men mostly hidden in shadow. However, the sunlight coming through the windshield provided enough light for Zara to make out part of their faces. They were both Chinese. The driver had a square head and no neck. He had a serious expression and slowly scanned the piazza, turning his head on as on a pivot. I think those are the guys, Zara reported. Let me look. Heinrich took, a, took the glasses from Zara and looked at the two men. I think you are right. They must be waiting for you and Archie to leave. I guess they didn't re recognize him in the new car. That's a good thing. He handed the binoculars back to Zara and went to finish packing his backpack. After last night, he wasn't going to leave anything in his room he didn't want them to find.
Sarah looked again and watched as the driver scanned the piazza. He swiveled his head around towards the hotel and then up the facade. Suddenly, Zara froze. The man's eyes looked directly at Zara, staring through the lens of the binoculars into her eyes. They held for a moment, and then he broke the gaze and continued his scan. Let's get out of here, Zara said. They left the hotel through the service entrance in the back and found themselves in a narrow alley. They walked down to the end of the block and decided to turn left, away from the piazza. Two blocks down, they turned right again. When they reached the right road, they turned up in the direction of the church. Zara glanced behind them every time they turned a corner. She never saw any Chinese men following them and didn't see anything suspicious. The new route took much longer than expected, but Zara was convinced they hadn't been followed when they arrived at the church. As they were walking up to the side door, Archie appeared around the corner. Nice man purse, Zara said first. Archie smiled. It's a satchel? No, it's a purse. Well, it's European, and the proper name is a Merce, and I like it. Merce, huh? I like that. Yeah, it fits my tablet perfectly. Archie unzipped the large pocket to show Zyra the tablet fit. Nice, she said. So how was the new hotel? It's amazing. A much more proper honeymoon suite. How was the walk over? Zyra explained how she saw two Chinese men sitting in the piazza watching the hotel. She also claimed no one had followed them to the church. Good job. Let's get inside before someone sees us. Archie knocked on the door, and Antonelli answered immediately. Chapter 98. Rome, Italy. Robert and Ashley walked off the plane in Rome, bleary-eyed from the long flight. Robert was exhausted and dehydrated. They were herded to a security line where they had to go through airport security again, just like they did to get on the flight in San Francisco. Luckily, being in business class, they were first to deplane and first in line at security. Ashley placed her carry-on on the belt and walked through while Robert was trying to lean over and untie his shoes. You're not in the States anymore, Rob. You don't have to take off your shoes. Really? I didn't, and I was fine. Robert straightened up and walked through the metal detector. He handed their boarding passes to the security guard, and the guard motioned for him to raise his arms, and he ran a metal detector over Robert's body. They grabbed their bags from the x-ray machine and proceeded to a bench where he put on his belt and retied his shoes. A sign directed them to turn left, and they walked through the international terminal to the, passenger, to the passport control line. There were two lines, one for EU citizens and one for everyone else. Of course, the one for everyone else was the long line. It seemed like a flight from the Middle East had just landed because everyone in front of them was speaking in Arabic. Robert looked around. The airport was bustling, people of all different nationalities walking to their gates to get on flights destined for everywhere around the globe. Robert found airports to be amazing places. He could sit and watch people for hours. Well, maybe when he was a little less tired. It was their turn at the desk, and Robert slid their passports under the window. The customs officer looked extremely bored, and he barely glanced up before stamping the passports and handing them back. They walked through a shopping center to the domestic terminal and found their flight to Catania on the departures board. They still had an hour to wait. Chapter 99, Mount Etna, Sicily, Italy The morning sun shone through the trees into Giuseppe's eyes. He squinted and tried to sit up, forgetting his injuries until the pain coursed through his leg. His back ached from lying on the ground. In fact, he hurt all over. It would be easier to find something that didn't hurt instead of cataloging all of the aches and pains. The fire was out, but the ember still smoldered, and a wisp of smoke rose into the sky. The air was cold, but Giuseppe could feel the warmth of the sun starting to warm the emergency blanket. Painfully, he sat up and reached to the pile of firewood. 
He placed some smaller twigs and pine needles on the fire and leaned in close to blow on the embers. The smoldering wood glowed red. Giuseppe breathed in and started to cough, and he squinted his eyes as they teared up from the smoke. His eyes squinted tight. He blew again, and the needles caught. With his one good hand, he grouped the needles close under the twigs until they caught fire. The fire going, he leaned some larger branches against each other over the flame. He was so thirsty. The water bottle lay just out of reach, and he had to scoot to reach it. The bottle was half empty, and he greedily drank half of what was left. With the fire going, and his thirst partially quenched, he decided to get a good look at his injuries in the sunlight. He pulled up his shirt and found huge bruises all along his right side. He lifted his pant leg up over his calves and took off the blood-soaked bandage to get a look at the cut. It was an angry red, and Giuseppe could see dirt and debris in the wound. It was a wide cut, and he guessed it was going to need some stitches. Next, he tried to pull his pants leg over his knee, but it was so swollen the material of the pants was stretched tight. Giuseppe rummaged to the emergency kit and found a pair of safety scissors. He carefully bunched the material above his knee to start the cut and awkwardly, with his left hand, cut the pants, pants leg down to the knee. He then started from the bottom and cut up to his knee. He bent at the waist so he could get a grip of, grip of the tear with his right hand, and with his left he pulled on the cut to tear his pants over the knee. <clears throat> he cried out in pain and closed his eyes. Stars exploded behind his eyelids as neurons fired off in protest. His knee was black and blue and swollen as big as a cantaloupe. He felt some relief from the release of pressure. Giuseppe took some time to tear the, the cut pants into strips. He found two branches that would work and stripped off all side branches and twigs. He wrapped both sticks with cloth and then tied the sticks above and below his knee to form a splint. He took the antiseptic cream from his kit and redressed the cut in his calf. Next, he scooted on the floor, forest floor until he found a branch thick enough to support his weight, and about chest high, with a fork at one end. He couldn't believe his luck. It was like a natural crutch, sitting there waiting for him to crash. Well, maybe he wasn't so lucky after all. He wrapped the fork of the branch with gauze to cushion it a bit. This is going to be interesting, he said aloud. He needed to put the crutch under his right arm, which was the side with the injured shoulder. He determined he had to get out of there, and walking out was going to be the only way. He would just have to deal with the pain. He decided to test out the crutch. Leaning against a tree and using the crutch to support himself, he slowly stood. He took a test step on the crutch and grimaced as the shoulder pain caused him to drop the crutch. He reached out with his left hand for the tree and saved himself from falling. He bent down to pick up the crutch to try again. This time, he gripped the crutch with his hand and tried to keep most of his weight on his left foot. He was able to take a few steps. Sweat broke out on his forehead, and he was breathing hard, like he had just run a marathon. But he didn't fall. He looked around. The ledge the car had fallen from was steep, much too steep to climb with a cane. He looked down. The road switched back, and it was possible he could reach the road going down and to the right. Well, up wasn't an option, so down it was. He slumped down to gather his things, the water bottle he stuffed in one pocket. He took two packages of ibuprofen for later and swallowed four pills to deaden the pain. He put out the fire by spreading the ashes and covering them with dirt. He couldn't carry out the emergency kit, but he took all of the packaging and trash and stuffed everything into the duffel. He zipped it up and left it in plain view. The people who responded to get Pietro could get the bag. He looked around and decided it was time to get going. He didn't relish the ordeal ahead of him. Chapter 100 Mount Etna, Sicily, Italy Carmela was exhausted. She had driven all over the mountain, all the way to the south side, and found nothing. 
She called Vincenzo many times during the night, and he reported no contact from Giuseppe. At about four that morning, she pulled off the road, turned off the car, and broke down in worry and exhaustion. She cried until she fell asleep in her car and awoke hours later when there was a knock on her window. She woke with a start and, after fumbling around, remembered she had to turn the key to roll down the window. It turned out the man was a German tourist going for a morning ride on his bicycle. He took a water bottle from the rack on his bike and drank. Carmela assured him that she was okay, and he took off. Zavri checked her phone to see if she had missed a call from Giuseppe and found the battery was dead. Going in and out of dead spots and dealing with a weak signal all night had run the battery down. In her glove box, she found a car charger for her phone and plugged it in. She decided she needed to go home. Her dad would be worried and he would need her help in the bar. And Giuseppe was probably sitting at the counter, wondering where she was anyway. She rolled down the window, hoping the wind would keep her awake, and pulled out onto the road. She reached the lava field and turned right onto the road down to Linguilosa. She slowly made her way down the tight turns, and again smelled smoke in the air. She approached a particularly sharp turn, and now, in the light, noticed skid marks leading off the road to the soft shoulder. She slowed further and looked up. A thin line of smoke rose up over the ledge. Carmela bit her lip. She was so tired and wasn't thinking clearly, but something told her she needed to stop. What would it hurt, anyway? She slowly pulled off onto the soft shoulder and got out of her car. When she peered over the ledge, she became immediately awake as her heart leaped in her chest and she felt a boulder drop in her stomach. The car was barely recognizable. The roof was caved in and car parts were strewn all over the hillside. Giuseppe, she screamed and careened down the hill, disregarding her own safety. She leapt over stones and slid on loose rocks, screaming out Giuseppe's name all the way down the hill. She reached the car and grunted as she stopped herself against it. <clears throat> she smelled the gas and oil mixed with the putrid odor of death. She leaned in to look and began retching when she saw Pietro staring sightlessly out of the windshield. She realized she'd been holding her breath and breathed deeply, but caught herself with the renewed sense of smell. Relief washed over her. It wasn't Giuseppe. Frantically, she looked around for him, not seeing him anywhere near the car. There, she saw the red duffel bag sitting on the ground near a large tree. She finally noticed the smoke from the remains of the small fire near the bag. She ran to the tree and turned around full circle, the tree spinning and her eyes blurring with tears. Giuseppe, answer me! Giuseppe had made it about two hundred meters down the hill when he heard Carmela yelling. Carmela? he asked. Carmela, I'm over here! Carmela heard a faint noise coming from further down the hill. Without thinking, she began to run, dodging trees and rocks. She held out her arm to block a low-hanging branch. Carmela! There it was again. Her toe hit a root, and she stumbled forward, her arm swinging to maintain her balance. There! She could see a figure leaning against a tree. It was him. She ran up to him and threw her arms around him. He cried out, and she pulled away. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Did I hurt you? Giuseppe groaned and took a deep breath. How did you find me? I've been out all night searching. When you didn't call, I knew something was wrong. And Vincenzo said he didn't know either. Yeah, but how did you find me here? The smoke. I smelled the smoke, and I just stopped to see. Thank you, Carmela. Thank you. He slumped against the tree and slid down to sit. I'll go get the car and find the closest spot. You rest here, and I'll be right back. Giuseppe nodded, and Car Carmela headed back up the hill. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Flaming Grenade Serial Podcast. We made it to chapter 100, so that's awesome. And this is also episode 25, which is pretty cool. So please subscribe, share with your friends, and I will catch you next time on the Flaming Grenade Serial Podcast.